Good morning, Neighborhood Bible Church. Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to the day we can meet together again in person. I want to give a shout out to a couple of folks in our church. A couple of days ago, Lavette and Maureen, they drove by my house on the way to get some of their favorite drive-through meal. And it was just a tiny taste of what it'll be like again to meet with you again. So thanks for driving by, Lavette and Maureen. The smiles behind the masks and two really happy dogs in the back seat were priceless. The last time I was able to worship together in this building with you all was on March 1st. The weekend after that, I celebrated our anniversary with Sharon together in Monterey. That's something we've purposed to do for our married life is to take a weekend away just to have some one-on-one time for our anniversary. The only difference this year was the buzz in the news related to COVID-19. Looking back now, I'm really glad we took that weekend away as we've been in shelter in place and hanging out at our homes for the most part. After a relaxing weekend, it was back to work on Monday, though. There was plenty of talk about shortages of supplies in the stores, and our neighbors couldn't believe that I was still going into the office to work. The next weekend, I was cutting some lumber with my miter saw out on my driveway, and a neighbor was walking by with her dog. So I stopped my saw so I wouldn't startle the dog, and she said, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm cutting some lumber for some raised garden beds in the backyard. And she said, "Uh, would you mind cutting some shelving for me for my kitchen? I said, sure, bring it on over. So I cut the shelving for her. She was delighted. It worked great in her kitchen. She had more space in her kitchen cabinets. And uh, she said, so what can I pay you? And I laughed and I said, your smile is, is payment enough. Don't worry about it. And so I went back to work, working on the garden beds. And about an hour later, she stopped by with a package of eight rolls of toilet paper. So we had a good laugh about using the new COVID currency that afternoon. On Monday, March 16th, uh, I was at work, and our CEO called an all-company meeting. And we had that meeting out in the parking lot because we didn't have a big enough space for everybody to be socially distanced. And about half the company was on site. The other half was calling in. Uh, they were a part of a travel team that, that um, was unable to be at the office just to reduce the risk. And so we're all six feet away, and his message has three main points. Number one, it's the number one priority of our company to keep our family safe. The second point he made was that the situation we're living in is unprecedented. And so we really don't know how it's going to play out. So please be flexible as plans may change on short notice. The third point he made was, we're going to have to make some adjustments to our habits. Mainly that we need to practice social distancing, use the supplies that we have in the office for, um, for just sanitizing everything, and then also, if you're feeling ill, don't come into the office. Take care of yourself. About two hours after that meeting, the news broke that Santa Clara would be implementing a shelter-in-place order. I had a conversation with the CEO before we left that day. He came by and said, 
that he had no idea that just two hours after our meeting, this was going to happen. He thought we had more time, at least a few days, a week. He wasn't sure. I think most of us thought we had more time. This morning, we're going to continue where Dave left off last week in Luke chapter 18. We're going to be reviewing uh, Luke 18, 9 through 14. Before we get started with Scripture, I want to introduce myself. Some of you may not know me. My name is Chuck Adam. I'm a sinner. I'm a brother. I'm a Christ follower. A husband, a father of three boys, and an elder here at Neighborhood Bible Church. I was born into sin being related to Adam and Eve of Genesis in the Bible. So if you mention to someone that you heard a message from Chuck Adam this morning, pass along that I'm related to Adam in two ways. That we share the same name. I'm Adam, not Adams, and that we're both sinners. So I'm the youngest in my family. I have a brother and two sisters, and I thought I was pretty good growing up. My siblings may have a different opinion, but that's a story for another day. While attending university, a friend of mine helped me get over the pride I had in myself of being good, and that I actually was a sinner, even though I didn't think so. You see, I thought I was a sinner. Uh, I thought a sinner was someone who did bad things to people or broke the law. He explained with an example of sin as not hitting the bullseye of a target every time with every shot. That was a new definition to me. After letting that new definition sink in a bit, he told me that we wouldn't see each other in heaven without me asking for and receiving the saving grace of Jesus. Nobody had ever put it that way to me before. That night, I became a Christian. There's more to the story, but realizing that there was a real consequence to how I thought of myself really sank in that evening. Although there was no dramatic shift in my life, the next day, God has and continues to change me from the inside out. About a year after I became a follower of Jesus, I met an amazing, beautiful Christian girl at a Bible study. A few years later, Sharon and I were married. We had some adventures together working as engineers. We taught English in China for two full years. And we moved back to the Bay Area to start a family. It was at this point that I realized the patient, unselfish, invincible man I thought I was just hadn't experienced enough life yet. This became painfully clear when my firstborn son, Um, was born, and sleep was something I just read about. Somehow my ability to be even keel got displaced, along with the lost hours of sleep and responsibility of being a father. So let's fast forward a few years. I got a little more more gray hair here. I started to realize that I would need to treat my next assignment with God with humbleness. Serving here at NBC has been very rewarding but it's a huge exercise in humbleness. I'm truly blessed to be serving with the other pastors and elders of the church. I'm still learning and have a lot more to learn. All right, so let's talk about shopping a little bit. 
Let's imagine for a moment you need to go to the store for something essential like toilet paper or maybe some of you ice cream. You, you decide. Since the stores have imposed limits on purchases, you decide to go to Costco, where a single item is usually a large amount. So you progress in the journey, and you, you take your mask, your hand sanitizer, and you get your gloves, and you head out to the car, up, but you realize you forgot your Clorox wipes. So you go back and get the Clorox wipes. And you decide that you're going to go to the store a bit early so you don't have to wait in a long line. When you arrive, it looks like you're about to wait in the line for Space Mountain at Disneyland. Now, if you look about 20 or 30 people back, you can see a guy using a fidget spinner. All right, all right, just kidding. So you take a deep breath, you grab a cart, you wipe down the handle, and you head to the line that's about one and a half times the length of the building. The line actually moves faster than you were expecting, so you're starting to feel like you're actually going to get what you came for. Toilet paper, ice cream. While waiting in line, you get a sense that there really isn't anything happening, but there is. Okay, now you're nearing the front of the line. You know the kind where there's, there's like a, a barrier and then there's somebody at the door, and there's some distance there, and they kind of give you the signal to, to come forward. Well, it was, it's like that at this Costco. And up walks someone. They're looking at their phone, and they just walk right past the front of the line to the door monitor. A little pause, and they walk in. And you're too far away to hear any conversation at the door. So what are you to think of this person? You can tell that those standing around you are even getting upset through their masks. You may be thinking that this person totally broke protocol and now feeling some anger that some injustice has just taken place. Who do they think they are? Don't they realize that there is a huge line right here? This kind of thing happened before COVID-19, but now it seems to you like you just might not get your toilet paper or ice cream. So you're getting anxious about it, too. I don't know about you, but when things like this happen, I have to remind myself that the people that are working at these stores, they're all trying to do their best. They're all dealing with this unprecedented event happening at, at this time in history. So we're learning more and more every day what COVID-19 will mean for us. I don't like the idea of a new normal and new social distancing. It's hard to know the right thing to do when the facts seem to change from day to day. I'm confident that we will learn and adapt to our new and ever-changing environment. But it's good to know that we worship a God that does not change. His promises will not change. His word was truth when it was written and his truth is true today. His truth will be true tomorrow. When the world around us changes and the facts change, I have to remind myself that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Nothing that happened yesterday, today, or tomorrow surprises him. So while our environment, job status, and health may be changing, let's pause and focus 
on what the God of the universe has to say about our attitude, especially our attitude as we approach God. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet us where we need to be met today. I pray, Lord, that as I read your scripture, that you would deliver your message today, not mine. I pray that those that are listening will hear your words and not mine and your truth. I pray now, Lord, that um, you bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's uh, open up our Bibles to Luke 18, 9 through 14. I'm going to read from Scripture this morning. Verse 9 in Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus gives us a sermon in a nutshell in verse 14. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke writes in verse 9 that he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So, who is Jesus speaking to in this verse? Who did Jesus tell this parable to over 2,000 years ago? To find out, Let's look back in Luke a little bit. Recall a few weeks ago in Luke 17:20, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God will come. In those verses, Jesus was talking directly to Pharisees. And verse 17:22 says, "And he said to his disciples." Jesus was talking to the disciples in these verses, since he connects the two paragraphs with the word "and." There are probably Pharisees listening as well as disciples. Last week, Luke writes that he told them a parable. This could be the disciples, the Pharisees, or both. Since the parables from last week and this week are only found in Luke, we're unable to gather more detail about the audience from the other gospel accounts. So here's my interpretation. Based on the way Jesus confronted Pharisees in the New Testament, I believe that Jesus was telling the parable to confront the Pharisees, but also as a warning to disciples who are listening. It's good to note that not all Pharisees are self-righteous and contemptuous, and not all disciples are humble servants. 
Nicodemus and Gamaliel are two examples of Pharisees that were not portrayed as bad Pharisees in the Bible. So they're not all bad. So Jesus addresses the Pharisees and the disciples. As you're listening today, think about our culture. And it's one that takes pride in being self-sufficient. Being self-sufficient is not bad in itself. It's not evil. Luke tells us that the parable, in the parable that was told uh, to those who trusted themselves, Jesus illustrates that being self-sufficient to the exclusion of our need for God has undesirable consequences. In other words, comparing yourself to others to feel good is risky business. Also, self-sufficiency is not the same as self-righteousness, but they all have a way of making us prideful. So it's interesting. Before I was given the assignment uh, to cover these verses here this morning, I was reading a book um, called Love Your Enemies by Arthur Brooks. In the book, the author refers to the Gospel of Luke more than once, and specifically these verses that we're reading today. He describes how a culture of contempt in our society is causing a lot of division and hate toward those who do not hold the same position or beliefs. His focus is more political in the book, but the concepts apply to life in general too. One of the definitions of contempt that Brooks uses is used by social scientists. Anger mixed with disgust. Another definition that I got from my computer dictionary says contempt is feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration. Anger mixed with disgust. So the folks that were listening to Jesus to tell this parable were causing lots of grief to those around them and doing harm to themselves. When we're not humble but prideful, it drives a wedge between those around us and most importantly, between us and God. An article I read from the C.S. Lewis website says that C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. The website continues to say, every believer should read this chapter by that title in the book Mere Christianity. There Lewis said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. C.S. Lewis was an amazing author, but Jesus is an amazing teacher. His message was true then and is still true today. We may talk to each other electronically now rather than in person, but we still need to be on guard how we think about and treat others around us. Now that we know who Jesus is delivering his message to and how pride can be a stumbling block, let's unpack the setting of the parable and the characters involved. In verse 10 it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. From my reading on the temple, 
and the traditions of Jesus' time, the temple was up on a hill. There were three prayer times a day, morning, noon, and afternoon. Sacrifices of atonement were made at the time of the first and second prayer time. And corporate prayer was generally offered during one of the sacrifices. And personal prayer was offered between the two atonement sacrifices. So it's likely the tax collector came to pray during one of these sacrifices because he knew that he was in need of atonement prayer in his prayer. In, in uh, verse 11, it says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So the Pharisee is standing by himself. He puts physical distance between him and the sinners at the temple. He's an early adopter of social distancing, but not to avoid something contagious. Next, he verbally puts distance between himself and sinners by comparing himself to other men that are sinners, including the tax collector. The Pharisee has an, has an attitude of contempt for other men. His choice of words suggests that he feels superior to those around him. It's interesting to note that in order to notice the far-off tax collector that he mentions, the Pharisee may not have been looking up to heaven to pray, as was the custom of the time. If I'm honest with myself, I'm guilty of doing the same thing from time to time. It's only by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus that I am considered clean. From the book of Matthew, chapter 5, we know that Jesus considers not only our actions, but our thoughts can be sinful. Matthew chapter 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So let's talk about the attitude of the characters. Even though the Pharisee appeared clean on the outside, he's not like other men, he is judged by Jesus to be sinful for his selfish attitude in his thoughts and his choice of words in prayer illustrate his contempt for others. So the Pharisee has a self-righteous attitude and has contempt for other men. The weekly fasting and tithing of the Pharisee described in this parable would have been considered exemplary for a Pharisee. He knows the rules and regulations, follows them, and even goes above and beyond what's required. Thus, in his mind, he's considered righteous and justified. Let's look at the tax collector. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Tax collectors were despised by the Jews and generally regarded as traitors to Israel. They were known to cheat and extort money from people. The Jewish people avoided them and considered them unredeemable, like a leper, unclean, and not curable. Let's look at the attitude of the tax collector. First off, he stands far off. He knows that he's despised, so he stands far off, likely by himself. 
However, in contrast to the Pharisees, he does not look around, as does not even look, lift his eyes to heaven, and is likely looking down. He beat his breast. That's a sign of extreme sorrow. The Pharisee, by contrast, walked into the temple with a puffed-up chest. So the tax collector is sorrowful and admits that he is a sinner. Did any of you pass judgment on the Pharisee today for his bad attitude like I did when I first read the passage? It's interesting to experience because when we pass judgment like this, we're acting like the Pharisee. Be on your guard against pride. The tax collector asks for mercy. Now, the tax collector simply says, Be merciful to me, a sinner. He knows who he is. He knows that he is a sinner. He knows that he needs mercy. He comes to God and asks for mercy. He asks for what he needs. The Pharisee, by comparison, doesn't realize that he also needs mercy. He's just thankful that he's not like other men. He doesn't ask God for anything. So the Pharisee asks for nothing. The tax collector prays in the way Luke records Jesus teaching on asking, seeking, and knocking in Luke 11.10. It says there, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks will be open. And and to the one who knocks, it will be open. In prayer, last week, Dave talked to us about the frequency of our prayer. Keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking, and don't lose heart. This week, we're learning to pray with humility. Now, here's the amazing part. Jesus makes a proclamation in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says that the evil, traitor, thief, swindler, swindler, add whatever evilness title you want to the tax collector, he went down to his house justified and that the Pharisee is not justified. Think of the shock to the listeners when Jesus told this parable. What about the shock of the reader of the letter of Luke? And how about you and I? To me, this doesn't seem fair. Why does Jesus justify the sinner? He didn't do anything but ask for mercy and confess that he's a sinner. Why did the door monitor at Costco let that shopper cut in line? Why is it that God accepts me, a sinner, into his kingdom? God has a heart for the humble, and he knows your heart. Jesus has a habit of turning the logic of mankind on end. He defines the new normal for us. He wants our hearts turned toward him. We tend to think that our prayers are heard based on our performance. Remember the sinner, the tax collector. He was the one who was heard. He asked for mercy. 
He didn't make any promises about his future performance to do better. He just asked for mercy and confessed that he was a sinner. Because the hard attitude of the tax collector, he was, uh, and uh, because of the hard attitude of the tax collector, Jesus proclaimed that he was justified. Jesus makes it really clear to the Pharisees back in Luke 5, 27 to 32 that he came to call sinners to repentance. I'm going to read that scripture now. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the booth, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, you can see that he came to save sinners. Being a sinner just means that you're human. None of us match up to God's standard. Remember that God judges even your thoughts. The new normal that Jesus is teaching us today in this parable is that being adopted into his family does not require us to do a bunch of stuff. We need to humble ourselves by admitting that we're not perfect in order to receive God's grace. Jesus died on the cross to atone for our sin or to pay our debt to God so that we can be free in his kingdom. God is for the humble. Will you humble yourself today and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Remember the CEO and his comment about timing? We don't know what the timing is for COVID or anything else. Consider that. Just as my friend wanted to see me in heaven, I want to see you in heaven. The new normal, life with Jesus, was new 2,000 years ago. Not so new now. It's the new normal today. If you still have questions, please reach out to here at NBC. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you're a Christian today, give thanks to Christ Jesus, who died for you and for me once and for all. Consider the impact you have in your family and community with the right measure of humility and love for one another. Be humble, give thanks, and love one another. In John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's difficult to love one another when we are prideful or have contempt for one another. However, in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, we get a little more insight about humility and the character of God. 
it says, clothe yourself, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So ask, seek, knock with humility, and don't lose heart. With God, all things are possible. God is for the humble. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your plan and your character that's unchanging. We can rely on you. We can rely on your truth. Father, I thank you for the example in this parable so that we can learn from it today. I pray, Lord, for those that don't know you, that they would come to you in humbleness and ask for mercy. I pray for everyone to just be on their guard about being prideful, Lord, as it drives a wedge between all of us. I ask now a blessing on everyone who's listening this morning from the God of the universe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.